All right. Um, welcome to Forum. Um, this week we have uh, Bill Podorsky. He's a member of our church, uh, a longtime uh, mountaineer for the Los Alamos Mountaineers, uh, trip leader, and he's taken many, many trips to Canyonlands, uh, of which I've been the beneficiary of at least two. <laughs> uh, it's not doing any good? Sorry. Um, so anyway, um, uh, the last uh, couple of trips were with llamas. Uh, Bill's going to sort of take us there and talk about what it's like uh, going out in, into the canyons, and I'll let him talk. So I wanted to talk to you about a uh, country of puzzles. When I think about what keeps me coming back again and again, and I think I've been on 105, somewhere between 105 and 110 expeditions there, lifetime to the to the Utah Canyon country, and it's that the uh, possibilities for exploration are unlimited. You know, there's always a surprise around the next corner, uh, around the next canyon, and I'll just, um, I can't tell you about 105 trips, so I'll give you some bits and, bits and pieces about this part of the world. The uh, picture, by the way, is a pastel painting of a pool in Dark Canyon, which is one of the more well-known, if any place in this part of the world is well-known, one of the well more well-known parts of the country, uh, canyon country. And this pastel is by my wife, Melissa Bartlett. And the uh, uh, Dark Canyon, which I, I uh, <clears throat> am not going to show you pictures of, is a very deep fissure in the earth uh, flowing into... Lake Powell into the Colorado River at the very northern tip of Lake Powell. Uh, it's about 1,200 feet deep. And I've uh, on one trip, we went from the top to the bottom of it. And uh, at one point, you're hiking down through the canyon, through di dry desert, uh, sand, hot, you know, not a sign of water. And a mile down the canyon, there's pools you can do laps in. And water in the desert of course, is, is uh, one of the other magical elements of this part of the world. As I said, we've been at it for a while. There's the younger me exploring various pieces uh, around Navajo Mountain in Arizona, uh, along the Utah's Bicentennial Highway. Hmm. I don't know if I can stand, so I'm not going to block anybody. Okay, um, you know, some somewhat technical trips, as in the one here. A uh, lot of bare rock. This is slick rock country. It's called slick rock because when uh, cowboys took their horses through there, it's, um, it was slippery. It's not at all slippery to walk on. Old friends, some passed away. That's... Uh, well, Dave Brown is still with us. His, his uh, wife, uh, Faye, passed away a few years ago. Roland Pettit, who wrote Guides of the Jemez Country, is the second person exploring along that crack, uh, coming across that ledge. And uh, we're more or less adventuresome. There is a sport called canyoneering, and this is not what I'm talking about. Canyoneering involves the technical descent of very deep canyons, uh, pursuing one rappel after another. Um, down 100 feet, sometimes more, uh, dropping yourself down free, 
reassembling your gear, heading down canyon to the next to the next rappel and setting up to do that. Uh, all of our traverses, though they get, you know, maybe about this scary. It's not quite as scary as it looks. It looks way scary. We're uh, really human-powered, human-assisted with, with ropes just to, you know, help over an occasional tough uh, spot or a tough step. As you read in the books, there's quicksand. It's not really dangerous, uh, but you can get in about like that, and uh, you float on quicksand. So it's never going to drop you in if you can just flop onto the surface and take fa fact, uh, advantage of the fact that it's a very heavy liquid and will be highly buoyant compared to being in water. You aren't going to go down to the bottom of it, but it makes for stories. So what do I mean by the canyon country? This is a view of Utah from space uh, with the Great Salt Lake in the north. And in the south, in the um, lower right, you see the Colorado River and its tributaries, much of which is unfortunately now flooded uh, by uh, Glen Canyon Dam to form Lake Powell. And that this piece of the Colorado Plateau runs fairly high altitude, 5,000 feet high, or it's uh, about three to five or 6,000 feet high. So it's got a lot of vertical terrain, a lot of potential energy by which the water going through this rock erodes. And it carves it into just a labyrinth of canyons and spires and domes and rocks. And it goes on for forever, almost. You know, that's uh, well over 100 miles of country that I've called out there. And it was the last blank spot on the map of the lower 48. So this is a Utah map, just post-Civil War. And you can see it's pretty blank in the lower right quadrant. And what's, what is there is actually wrong. Uh, just zoom, zooming in, uh, there's a couple imaginary mountaintops there on that plateau. I think that mountain range, the, this one here, doesn't exist. Uh, the San Juan River is right, and the Green and the Colorado Rivers are right, and that's about all that was right on this map. So it was really unknown. There's a whole mountain range in there. The Henry Mountains, about here, I think they have peaks that approach 12,000 feet high, and it was unknown at the time. In fact, it was the last significant mountain range in the United States to be discovered in the lower 48. It's really wild country. It's still wild country. Uh, when you set out on one of these trips here, we, um, uh, we've gotten to travel in comfort over the years. So we typically stay in a lodge or something the night before and then go into the canyon country, as opposed to 25 years ago where we'd set out from town, drive till midnight, camp by the side of the road, keep going, and backpack in. Um, I like it better the way we do it when we're older. At any rate, the drive to, say, uh, Boulder, Utah, which might be a base for many of our trips, involves leaving Los Alamos, driving perhaps nine hours. We drive through Farmington, and the next biggest town that you drive through on the way there is 300 people, 500 people, Abiquiu, Bluff, Utah. There's really nobody there over a big piece of the, of the United States. 
My favorite part of this country, it's not the closest country, um, based here in northern New Mexico, but my favorite part is the Escalante country. And if we back up, I can point out about what we're talking about. I can't point it out on this map because it uh, was unknown at that time. But um, this is the Escalante River. This, these colors, these whites, these tans are bare rock, bare rock over many square miles. Um, so it's not vegetated as, as seen from space. So that's the Escalante country. This is what uh, John Wesley Powell poetically called the Aquarius Plateau, which more prosaically nowadays is called Boulder Mountain. And this is a source of fresh water, which drains down through canyons here on the way to the Escalante River, fresh and year-round water. Um, when I was first invited to go on a trip to the desert backpacking, uh, the one thing that came to mind is, well, you need water to camp. You can't carry enough water to back backpack. You need a gallon, a couple gallons a day. Eight pounds, uh, eight pounds a gallon, a day's worth of water pretty much uh, fills all the space in your backpack, or a couple days anyway. Uh, but in this part of the, the, the desert is not that dry. That is, it's highly corrugated, there's canyons, there's little water pockets, and there's actually um, perennial streams to be found here. In this part of the country, I've gone trout fishing. So within the, um, the Boulder country, the Escalante country here, the little town up the top is Boulder, which is a pretty little dairy town. It was the uh, last town in the United States, one of the last towns in the United, lower 48 to have road service. Up until the, well, late in the last, uh, well into the middle of the last uh, century, its uh, U.S. mail came to it by uh, mule train, cross country from Escalante, uh, very friendly, kind of touristy, tiny, tiny town. Escalante has been modernizing some more tourist facilities ready for the folks that um, have come to the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, which I think was uh, initiated in 1996 by President Clinton. Yeah, the the um, inhabitants were all up in arms about it, as most new national parks, national areas of that area that's the response they find. Uh, but now I think it's the basis for a new tourist industry that's remaking Escalante. You know, traditionally, it's very conservative, farmer country, even polygamous country in that, in that corner of Utah. And across this piece of the world, we find the Escalante River, uh, which flows a lot of flow coming down from Boulder Mountain to the north, to the, off the uh, upper left part of the map down through the river and into Lake Powell. And um, there's probably 50 trips that you could organize in this part of the world. There's so many options, all these side canyons, all the water, um, all the slick rock to explore. So and I'll tell you about just one of these trips. I've been on, uh, these are trips that you plan ahead. I like taking a full week to do them because of the long day's drive to get there and back. And we'd like to leave on a Saturday, come back the next Sunday, and spend a whole week exploring this country, which means you plan the trips out well in advance, which means, you know, we're not like surfers that can run down to the beach when the waves are good. You uh, pick a date and you deal with the weather as, as, it, as you get it. 
Uh, I think we were on about Plan F the time we went out after the big floods in October 2006. This was a Plan B trip. It rained heavily last fall, and our original destination wasn't accessible. Uh, and uh, in fact, Plan B worked out as well as anything else. Uh, our our packer, the llama packer that we're working with that took our gear in and, in fact, accompanied us on this trip, um, suggested that we do a traverse that we hadn't done before. This is about 15 miles of the Escalante country, of the Escalante River through Slick Rock country, all the bare rock that you see there. And uh, I think even one picture like this proves why I call this the puzzle country. You know, every niche, every little side canyon, every little cross on the map is, is something to explore. We went in at the upstream end uh, near Escalante Town, came out downstream where Highway 12 crosses the river. We made the traverse uh, on a six-night trip with three nights in each destination. And let me tell you about it. So this is the agricultural town of Escalante. If you keep going from here to the west, you get to Bryce Canyon and beyond that to Zion. Uh, behind you, uh, in the direction that we've come in from the east, it's very empty country around Lake Powell. We went in with eight people. I think we had uh, eight, eight llamas, and here's a good part of our party as we prepared to go in. And those of you folks who travel by backpack into the wilderness, which I used to be one of, this is uh, really a, a different experience. Uh, I, many, many backpacks. Uh, I took into this country, uh, you know, up until about 2000 or so. And my friends, many of my friends were a little bit older than me. And any, anyway, these backpacks are heavy. My back hurts. My knee hurts. Is there a better way to do it? And there is a better way. The better way is to hire an animal outfitter who will carry your gear. We've had horse outfitters. We've had llama outfitters. There's goat outfitters. I've never used one. And for a few hundred dollars per person, you get your gear hauled. So this is a llama. It's about a 300-pound beast. It's carrying about 70 pounds of payload on two sides and two panniers with a little gear about across the top. And because of that, we had about we had about 70 or 65 pounds available per person to each of us, which is about twice what you can carry in a backpack. So the amenities that we had in camp they're modest compared to modern civilization back home, but um, it's a lot more comfortable than the backpack experience. Llamas look very cute. They're basically walking backpacks. They don't care about people. They don't like you. They don't dislike you. They just, they just want to be on their way, no matter how cute they look. And we set out from our parking lot, uh, uh, one llama per person carrying our gear and entered into the canyon. So that's how you travel. Uh, the llamas need to be guided. Uh, the packer usually can, can take about four of them himself, so a few of us have to take a, a, pack, a llama ourselves. And you just walk along and the llama follows you. There's BJ, our packer, with his, uh, his string, and the Escalante River. It's a little drained at this point. It's come through that agricultural country, and the farmers take a good chunk of the water. It refills as you continue down the river, and the wild streams come down from Boulder Mountain to the north. 
and we are in a real canyon at this point. It walls several hundred feet high. Fall trip, cottonwoods turning color. And we made it to camp. This is actually a, this is a busy, busy place to visit. Uh, that is, there's other re more remote parts of this wilderness where we've gone in for a whole week and seen nobody. Uh, just, our, just our own little party. But this is a fairly frequented corridor. It's kind of an obvious place to go up the river, down the river. Uh, we came into camp at this um, junction with Death Hollow, which is one of the, sounds terrible, Death Hollow, but it's a very pretty creek coming into this area. And there was one party camping there who knew we were coming. Uh, they were there for the first night. Then we had this place to ourselves. And we saw a party or two a day over the course of the trip. So that's high traffic for the Escalante, a party or two a day. As I said, it's not quite like backpacking. And these, these are the differences. This is the level of gear. You know, a few more pounds of gear per person, and it makes all the difference in the world in traveling and comfort. You have a two-burner stove. You have tables to cook on. You have chairs to sit on. A little bit of creature comfort is really nice. And from there, we explore. The typical uh, format for these trips is you go in and make camp and explore out from there. This trip was a little bit different, and then we moved halfway. But the country is so complex that if you go in and make a single camp for six nights, you won't be bored. There's enough different places to go to. There's enough surprises around the corner that if you go three mile, two miles, one mile that way and one mile that way, you'll find adventures both ways. As I said, there's very nice water. Water means vegetation. There's a little bit of poison ivy. We didn't have any trouble with it. Uh, but a beautiful, beautiful stream going up Death Hollow. There's Kathy Grastataro, our canyon stream. I mean, this is why I like desert trips. There's lots of this in the desert. Little waterfall, little rainbow, deep canyon walls as you go in farther, and trout. I was fishing my way up this stream. They're very shy. You know, this is a wide open place to be for a trout. Trout are predated from overhead from birds and uh, predatory birds largely, so they're very sensitive to seeing people above it. In a, in a stream with a sandy bottom and no protection, you really have to not let them see you at all. If you can cast to them without them seeing you, you catch them. If they see you at, see you at all, they're gone. We also explored on another day up and out of the canyon. So this is what it looks like when you get a little bit above the stream. By golly, it is desert, after all. Uh, some level of scrambling. Going up this particular rib, you know, one party of ladies didn't like it, decided their explorer was going to be in another place. Evan and I and a couple others did go up, you know, just scrambling up that rock and got to views like this of the canyons that we're in. This is a side canyon. And that big satellite photo, that would, this would have been one of the little grooves on the map. And we were able to get down and explore this. 
And this was a watch around the corner. We finally made our way down to a side canyon, you know, from one knob to another, getting down to the bottom. And we found this. We found that it narrowed so much that you, could, you, you couldn't go any farther. You explored up until it got about that wide, and that was the end of your trip, until we turned around. We moved camp to a place called Sand Creek, Lower Country, that is not so steep a wall, but um, you know, a lot of slick rock still. There's a camp by this confluence. It's called Sand Creek uh, Fish, more fish. On a previous trip, I caught, uh, oh, something like eight 15-inch trout in 100 yards of stream, a few miles upstream from this point. Beautiful fish. Uh, canyon lit by sunlight, moonlight, twilight at all times of the day. And again, you know, it might be rough in it, but it's not backpacking and sleeping on the ground. Literally, it wasn't. We took. I had a little miniature cot. It felt like uh, about as good as my own mattress. Explore, exploring out from here, you can see the sandstone, the way the country turns, and you just explore. You go up, hike out from camp. Oh, isn't that knob interesting? I wonder what's in that canyon. It's the. You know, what can we get if we go beyond there? We're not on trails. You know, we're not following a path. We're just poking around to see what's there. This is a piece of terrain we didn't get into. Lichen on the rock. You get surprises. We strolled around a side canyon, looked over the edge, and down it dropped 100 feet, actually to Sand Creek. There's uh, Evan's one of our more intrepid folks. It's about, yeah, it's at least 100 feet down from a couple feet in front of him there. All good things come to an end. A week seems like such a long time ahead of you as you head out into the canyon country, and so quickly it's over. This was our hike out to civilization, which is just a couple miles. A granary or a little settlement on the south wall of the canyon that we hiked past. There's not a lot of ruins in, the, in these worlds, the, the, this part of the world. Our packer, BJ, and his llama buddy. And that was one trip. Uh, I wanted to, uh, I don't see too many uh, folks with kids, young kids in the audience, but I, want, I did want to point out to them and to, to everybody that these need not be wilderness trips, even at the level I talked about. This is a very um, unsettled, you know, sparsely settled part of the world. There's a few places to stay. There's a few places where you can, um, you know, find a bed and a roof over your your head, and explore out from there. In fact, for this whole country, these are the closest closest places you can actually find lodging. But they are they're close enough in that you, that you can explore out from there. There's a little tiny bed and breakfast, for instance, in Valley of the Gods, off the grid, living off uh, living off solar power. That's um, here next to Bluff. We've been many trips to Bluff, Utah, which is maybe five hours from here, five and a half, from which you can explore Comb Ridge and its ruins. You don't have to be, a, you don't have to be an overnighter to, to, to do this area. And one of the things which we've liked doing, and we've uh, gotten into the habit doing 
doing it uh, Veterans Day weekend in uh, November every week, is to go to Moab, Utah. Uh, Moab's gotten very busy, but by November it's pretty calm, late that late in the season. And that late in the season, mid-November, I don't like camping in, in any form. It's just too dark, a little bit chilly, but it's so dark and the, the nights are, are long and dark. So we found a very nice place in town to stay, a 10-bedroom complex, which we've managed to fill up in um, Moab town and explored from there. We've been dozens and dozens of explorations out of, um, out of Moab, for instance, to Arches National Park. And you know, Moab has a reputation. Moab is dude country. That is, you walk down Main Street, and the most common word you hear in the conversations is dude, dude. You know, they're mountain bikers. They're repellers. But there's a lot of, and we do have mountain bikers go on these outings, but there's a lot of hiking to do here. There's three, uh, two national parks in the vicinity. One of them is Arches which has the famous and well-frequented features like Delicate Arch, and also some very remote places where, again, you don't see anybody for the day. So let me talk to you about a couple outings, day outings, in one of these uh, Moab adventures. This was a piece of slick rock terrain coming out of the surrounding desert, you know, bare rock that you can explore around, called the Eye of the Whale. And it's a set of um, a bunch of slick rock, yeah, little canyons going up into it. We didn't really have any idea what we could do, whether we could get to the top of it or what. So we explored. No guarantee. But we started hiking up into the slick rock. And this, these bare rock, almost avenues, taking us higher and higher up into it. And this is the view as we ascend. It looks tricky, but you can go around this way and that way, and there's always... There's often a way forward. In fact, part of the excitement is you don't quite know if you're going to make it, but in this case, by the time we were done, we were standing on the top of the whole pile of rock. Uh, that's me and my stepbrother, Larry Johnson. And that amount of rock, that bare rock, you know, the earth in all its bare splendor is something you just don't see in, in other places not in those quantities. And looking out into the more brushy desert in the, in the distance. Yeah, that, these are pillars here, maybe 50 feet high. You'd have to be pretty technical to get up on top of them, but you can get close to them and watch them. And in the background, in November, we have the LaSalle Mountains, which climb up close to 12,000 feet, yet in another range. And they're a nice snowy background for these fall adventures. That is Stuart Trugman looking down a long, long way. Little pockets of water here and there, places to catch the, the rain that, that does fall there. And this, in fact, is the eye of the whale. We poked around, we came off the east side of this uh, complex, walked along its base, and this little arch, this is Arches National Park at all, after all, this arch looks like an eye of the whale and the way it uh, was backlit. It was just gorgeous.
and our way out, we climbed back into the center of the Eye of the Whale complex, hiked along the ledges there, uh, kind of pushed it a bit. It was getting late in the day. It was getting, toward, get, getting towards dark. And our way out was basically to find a little crack in that rocky wall, poke through. Gee, I wonder if this is going to work. And it, you could just barely make it. You could squeeze through and drop through, and boom, you were out in the open desert and, and on your way back home. And this is a second hike in the vicinity. That white feature is called Mill Courthouse Mesa. It's about a mile, and it's a bare rock plug. Okay. It's um, a bare rock mesa standing up above everything else. You can see it in white sandstone. There's some, we spent a lot of time in that little bit of brown stuff at the southern tip. Down below, you can see roads. The roads are full of dudes, jeepers, bikers, motorcyclists. Go up the mesa, and you're on your own. There's one way up. We found it from a guide. And took ourselves to the top of this mesa, looking across to another very rugged mesa, Courthouse Rock, I think is what they call it, to the, to the east of us. I think the rock sculpture speaks for itself. This mesa had a crack in it. I'm not sure when it's going to fall in two pieces, but it had a crack all the way through a major part of it. And if you, uh, you couldn't see the bottom of this thing, it really did look, you know, that's looking down. It's somewhat recent, that is, there was vegetation growing across it. And I think at one point, a big uh, tomorrow, 10 years from now, 1,000 years from now, half this mesa is going to fall away. So we stayed on, we stayed on the solid part of the mesa. <laughs> this is that um, chocolate-covered rock, so swoopy um, on, the, on the southern edge, which uh, just little canyons going off it, little pools in it. It was just an amazing rock sculpture garden. You know, this is the puzzle country. You go out without a particular plan, and you just keep finding surprises. And I haven't figured out all the puzzles, so I'm going to keep going back. That is yet another mesa off in the distance. Another, we haven't been there yet. It's time to go there. And in the end, we circumnavigated that mesa, went around its whole perimeter, views in every direction, and made our way back. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, you, know, you know, kids, grandkids, what, uh, what's the... Is this just a place for adventuresome grown-ups? And the answer is not at all. Um, and we've done a lot of things here over the years um, with my two sons um, as, as they grew up. And with kids, of course, you, you can't be quite as rugged. You like some level of comfort. And uh, here's a couple angles on, on getting kids in the country. Now, there's folks that backpack their kids in, and more power to them. It gets... Uh, gets to be a pretty heavy backpack when you've got your stuff and a, and a child's stuff, too. 
let alone if they get tired and want to be carried. I've done that. Uh, but one of the things we did was houseboating. Uh, that is, um, again, we try to avoid the major seasons. If you go to Lake Powell in July, it's, you know, it's a playground. There's boats everywhere. They're swimming. They're water skiing. It's a terribly busy part of the world. If you go in November, and the couple times I've been was over Thanksgiving, you really have the place to yourself. The place is shut down. You need to think about fuel because most of the gas stations are shut down. These boats use a reasonably large amount of gasoline. But uh, it's very still. You've got the place to yourself. And November really is the trick. By Christmas, it's too cold and, and too dark. So that's my son. Uh, let's see. Peter must have been about 11 at that time. And a youngster can drive a boat. I mean, he was just the, that was just the most exciting thing in the world if you're 11 years old, just to be driving your own boat. And this was an expedition where we moved the boat from point to point most days and explored and hiked on land. You know, once you're, you've got your lodging in the form of the boat, and from there you can explore. And explore to places as wild as this. I think this is Navajo Mountain in the background, which is a major peak on the reservation in Arizona, south of the San Juan River. Uh, some days, this is a second trip two years later in 2006, you know, the water can be just as still as a mirror in the side canyons. And this is what you can do on a boat-based trip, get up to places like this. Uh, the shores of Lake Powell are a little bit shabby. That it, It's not so much garbage, but, you know, silt, mud, and a lot of tumbleweeds. And it's a very safe place to do your contribution to cleaning up the shores of Lake Powell by getting huge piles of tumbleweeds and setting them on fire. And, um, you know, for about a 12-year-old boy, that's about as exciting as you can get. <laughs> so I mentioned Bluff, Utah. There's some nice places to stay in town here. It's closer than the other corners of Utah. You can certainly get there in, in six hours. And this takes you to Comb Ridge, which is a monocline, which runs for hundreds of miles, or a good chunk of 100 miles, uh, which is in turn corrugated by a set of canyons coming up from the uh, more gentle side, the east side. And in here, you find lots and lots of Anasazi ruins, you know, one canyon after another. They're just every mile or so apart as you go up the ridge. So a nice place to explore. And... As I said, it's a monocline, which means shallow on one side, steep to the other. You can go right up to the steep edge and look down. This is country more down, you know, it's close to Comb Ridge, but I think it's closer to uh, Valley of the Gods. And, um, you know, Spires, it's like a second uh, mon monument valley, this Valley of the Gods country. Lots of petroglyphs. This is a corner of the world with a great deal of Anasazi art. Uh, the Escalante country that I talked about earlier was more remote, kind of the hillbilly country, I think, if you're an Anasazi. This was mainline, and the, uh, the art is just around every corner. Marking interesting spots, um, uh, junctions of trade routes. Well, we really don't know what they were talking about. 
and you know some level of uh, excitement as you explore this country. This is not very. There's not a big. This is not as scary as it looks. I wouldn't let a a young child go above a 50-foot cliff alone, but enough to get the uh, adrenaline pumping. I talked about llama trips in the context of the grown-up trip last fall. We've taken kids on llama trips. Uh, in fact, some llama packers will let kids that are small enough, like six and under, ride a llama, which Pete thought was a, uh, a fine thing to do. And this is a llama expedition that we took kind of in that bluff, very southeast Utah country, uh, back about 10 years ago. And Peter leading his own llama. This was a uh, move-every-night expedition. More often, we just go to a point and stay there. But uh, you, know, you can pack up and explore every day. And finally, a little boat drop trip. Um, Lake Powell, tourist activities there are organized, I think, by Aramark. They run the lodges. They rent you houseboats. And they'll run you out for a day, or they'll run, run you out on a smaller boat and drop you off if you want to stay a few days and come back and pick you up later. We've done that a few times. This was in the, Esca, in the lower uh, reaches of the Escalante River where it's flooded in a place called Willow Creek. So we did this when Peter was, um, you know, he might have just been four or almost four at that point. In fact, I don't think they dropped us off. I think we rented our own boat at that point. We got to a very remote place and hiked in a few miles from there. And as I said, it's puzzle country. You just aren't walking up a trail. Here you're wading up to about uh, neck deep as we moved our backpacks up canyon to camp. Melissa got a little bit excited by the tarantula that was floating in the water, but you just kind of walked past it. Youngsters love campfires. Campfires are, are, remain legal in certain parts, parts of this country. So that was camp, and here's another view of camp in an enormous alcove. And we camped on trips in a few places like this where it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain because it never rains because you're kind of underground under a huge lip of rock. So I think that's where I, that's where I want to wrap it up. It's an amazing country to explore. There's really options for all ages and, and all abilities. Um, I've gotten to know a lot of nooks and crannies over oh, how many years. My first trip was in the fall of 1979, and I'd be um, happy to talk to any of you about details and to um, you know, give you a blessing of sorts to take you out there. And I think the... The next slide, the next slide is the history of my trips to this country, and that's a place, that's a place to stop. As um, you know, the colors change decade by decade, and these are all the corners that we've explored so far. But I'm not done yet. So thank you. What kind of rock? Yeah. It's, there's a lot of sandstone, mostly sandstone. The, the shale is there, but it's not so interesting. It makes more gradually sloped, broken down layers. So it's, it's all 
With a few exceptions, like um, the Henry Mountains, it's all sedimentary. There's a little bit of limestone, you know, not, not a lot of it, but they make very hard layers, lead to waterfalls, provide an interesting twist to the terrain. Uh, there are a few springs here and there, and I think a lot of the flow of the water comes from springs. I don't know, I don't think they create the canyons. I think the canyons are generally created by the very erosive power of a few violent events, you know, the, the, the big floods. I think the hundred year, the thousand year floods do the work. Um, but the fall trip from last year that I was uh, talking about, the second camp at Sand Canyon, had this lovely spring where water just dripped down from the wall almost almost like a spigot. You could put your water bottle up against it and fill it. Yeah, it's a sad fact of um, the last 50 years that you can't drink water in most of the wilderness of the United States without treating it. You know, there's chemical systems, there's filtration systems. They're not too bad, but they're a little, they're a little bit of a hassle. It's not like the nasty iodine pills that we started with. But nonetheless... It's a camp chore. You string up your water filters. They drip and provide a... And you're always putting water from one bucket to another. When we got to this camp, we looked at the spring. And, um, in fact, the packer didn't... St the packer went out for the last three days and came in to get us. And we just packed up our water filters and sent them out with him, saying, we got water. We don't, uh, we don't need to filter it. No, I've talked to a few cowboys who go that way. You know, if you're if you're traveling on horses, one horse per person, you know, 100 to 150 pounds payload, you can do that for a few nights. But you go through so much water. You know, a gallon would be strict survival. To, uh, two gallons might be more of a minimum per person per day, and that means even with that llama capacity and that extra load you have above the bare minimum, you could only last a, a couple or three days. Well, let's thank Bill. You're welcome.